Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Fred Barnes is here. He's going to give Donald Trump a scorecard on his presidency so far. And then we'll talk with Ethan Epstein about a very curious proposal being debated to fix Washington's decrepit subway system. All that coming up on the Confab. We get the confab rolling with Mr. Fred Barnes, executive editor of the Weekly Standard. Fred, how are you doing? I'm ready to roll. Excellent. Now, as uh, regular listeners to the confab will know, you are a notably fair-minded uh, observer <laughs> of the Trump presidency, willing to praise where praise is due, willing to criticize when c- criticizing is warranted. Well, I aim for that. I'm not never Trump, and I'm not uh, pro-Trump. So I do fit in there, but it's a pretty it's a pretty big field. So you, in the new issue of the Weekly Standard, mm-hmm. um, you set out to judge the Trump presidency so far, mm-hmm. and you do it in a particular way. What's your What's your methodology? Well, it's not to look at the polls. It's not to look at the uh, at anything like that. It's not to look at the approval ratings or how the president has done. Uh, 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 president Trump has done in legislation that he got passed and so on. There are a number of ways that are always, are commonly done. I'm going to take the Fred Greenstein route. Now, most people have probably not heard of Fred Greenstein, a now professor of emeritus at Princeton, who came up with something else. He said, look, let's take these traits uh, of a president that are important uh, for his performance uh, in the White House and, and see how he's done on those. Uh, and there's six of them, and uh, well, and I looked at those. Let's work our way through them. Okay. The first of the six is how well the president communicates to the public. How yeah. is Trump as a public communicator? He's pretty good at that. Uh, he, he doesn't make arguments well where you say, here's uh, what I want to do, and here's why I want to do it, and here's how we're going to get there. He he generally uh, sort of uh, screams at people. and Let's fly with the <laughs> tweets. And yes, and he'll, you know, we know more about what President Trump is actually thinking than any president in my memory. That goes back to Richard Nixon anyway. And, and that, that is remarkable. And there are mm-hmm. pluses and minuses to there that, are. obviously. Mm-hmm. What, what would be the pluses to mm-hmm. a president? president's mind being uh, so exposed. Well, he can get away with saying things that other presidents cannot. I mean, he he makes no effort to be genteel or actually presidential, but uh, but he tells you what he thinks. So we, we know where he's coming from. We know when he changes his mind, which is frequently. Uh, and uh, there's a value in that. The bad side is uh, he can be confusing. He can be harsh. He can be mean-spirited. He can be egotistical and so on, and we see all that too. We probably get a better picture, a better picture of what goes on in a president's brain uh, with this president, President Trump, than anyone I know of. Other at least than in maybe my life listening, that, listening back to some of those LBJ and Nixon tapes. <laughs> yeah, but even those, uh, even those aren't quite as as revealing and as broadly based as uh, as the Trump one. So I, I think all in all, even though he gets himself 
himself in some trouble uh, by being uh, uh, so talkative. Uh, he is a dominant president because of that. He's the news every day. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I, I judge these things by pass and fail. And I give him a pass on that. So public communicator, pass. Mm-hmm. How about organizational capacity, the second uh, parameter? Why, why are you smiling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just doesn't have any organization ability at all. My, Which is astonishing yeah. given that mm-hmm. the man has run a multinational corporation. Mm-hmm. Well, he does have people who work for him, and and uh, it, it was a, it, it's a much smaller operation when it's a, a mere multinational uh, company. Uh, when you're doing the White House, you're involving the whole world. And, and do people leak... Uh, uh, all the time uh, when you're in business? No, but they leak at the White House. They have rivalries at the White House. We have all these things. It's been, I think the word uh, chaos has been used about the White House. I use the phrase helter-skelter. But in any case, the good news is that when John Kelly, uh, the retired general, came in, he really cracked down. He got rid of uh, one of the key things was to get rid of Steve Bannon, who was the leaf, the leaker and uh, and rivalry starter in chief. Uh, and that helped and, and really put some organizational um, uh, discipline. But... There was, there was one exception, and that's the tweets. And, and, I mean, maybe Kelly took the right uh, note saying, look, uh, this is the president. He, he was elected. If he wants to make these statements in tweets, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not really uh, one who should stop him from his constitutional role. And, and sure enough, uh, uh, he hasn't stopped that. But uh, so while, while there's a lot of discipline at the White House that wasn't there before, uh, organizationally, mainly because of the tweets and the president's loose lips, uh, it's not. You wouldn't give him any credit for organizational capacity. All right. So organizational capacity <laughs> fail. fail. <laughs> All right. Political skill. Well, you know this guy's pretty good in, in politics. He uh, uh, he won an election. But, Eric, as you and I know, having been in Washington for a while, that the rules of a political campaign and the rules of Washington, once you're elected president, are quite different. Still, winning the presidency is no mean feat of political skill. Yeah, none, uh, yeah not at all. He does, have, he does have skill, but he doesn't realize uh, that you'd have to do different things in Washington. You have to, uh, you have to negotiate in a, in a way uh, that you didn't when you were a businessman. It's just you and this guy you're trying to sell a, a piece of property to or something like that. In, in, um, uh, in negotiating uh, as president, and it, it, it is harder because you have to give away a lot. You have to you have to uh, kiss a lot of rear ends among other things, and and uh, and Trump has has not been uh, particularly good in that, but uh, he's been good enough to uh, I think to get a pass, uh, uh, partly because he came up with this very skillful way of putting uh, uh, of using the issue of judicial nominations, like to the Supreme Court, uh, promising to name conservatives, and he had a list that he's going to pick from, and, and so on. And it really, in the campaign, it relieved uh, uh, a lot of people dubious about voting for Trump, and it's still there. So uh, in political scale, pass.
All right. The next category, vision. <laughs> does he have, as President Bush the first uh, yeah, so the memorably vision. put it, does he have the vision thing? I would say no and not even close. I mean, it's just, I mean, his vision is about 24 hours uh, from the moment he says something. It, it, it's just not who he is. He's not the first politician to be uh, to lack vision. He knows what he wants on a particular day. He may change his mind the next day and frequently does. Uh, you know, one of the things he's done recently was during, um, back when he was putting together his first uh, tax cut bill uh, a year ago when, when the campaign was still going on, he was obsessed with the notion of uh, we will uh, we will not cut taxes uh, for the rich. We won't their top rate that they pay on their income. Uh, we're not going to have that. Well, he got back from Asia a couple days ago, and what was he saying? Hey, why are we? Why is the top rate on my bill so high? It ought to be thirty-five percent. <laughs> this is after insisting that it be uh, thirty-nine point six. That's uh, that does not show vision. So pass or fail? Fail, fail, big time. All right, so we have two passes and two fails. So mm-hmm. far, we're even. Uh, we could end up even <laughs> if, if the, the six are split yeah. three and three, but yeah. we're, we're to the fifth of the sixth yep. categories mm-hmm. now. And the fifth category is cognitive style. Yeah, well, that's a, that's not, a hard one. It doesn't sound promising. It does, and it's not. I mean, this is how do you assess, consume, and 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 take advantage of all the information. Uh, Fred Greenstein, in his book, where he uh, came up with these six qualities, said a Ni- Niagara of advice right. and, and drinking from the fire hose <laughs> of information. Yeah, yeah really. Uh, and I think President Trump uh, does really not do very well in this. He's uh, uh, one. I think he just ignores a lot of the advice he gets. Uh, and two, he's not a reader. You know, it helps to be a reader. Um, and not just reading memos, but actually reading books and advice and so on. There are lots of things that can help you. Uh, he get instead of reading, he watches TV news, you know, and and it has a big effect on him. Uh, the uh, he has selected people or asked people to uh, take a job based on on whether uh, how well they did on television, mainly Fox News. And one of the things you you note that I think wraps together with the vision Mm -hmm. question Mm -hmm. is that um, the president, and this was his reputation as a businessman as Mm -hmm. well, that often he seems to make decisions based on whoever he last spoke to. Mm -hmm. This is not new in politics. He just does. He seems to do it more often than others. I don't know who talked to him about Vladimir Putin at some point, but that certainly stuck with him and, and, and the president even though practically no one in the country agrees with him on this, can't help but say things nice about Putin. He seems to have sympathy with Putin. When Putin says, he says, oh, gee, I, we certainly did nothing uh, uh, to mess up the American presidential election, uh, Trump uh, sympathetically reports that this is the, the, the Putin view. He doesn't say he agrees with it, but... He, he vouches he, for the sincerity he, of the he, statement. Indeed, this guy really thinks this, and it's uh, it doesn't help him. That's uh, on uh, on this. Uh, his uh, cognitive style, a definite fail. All right, so we have three fails, mm-hmm. two passes, one mm-hmm. last chance to, yep. to break even, at least, for the president. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, oh no, the mm-hmm. last one. 
emotional intelligence. You know, there have been a number of uh, uh, presidents who did not have it. Fred Greenstein describes it as keeping one's emotions under control and using them for what at least Greenstein calls constructive purposes. Uh, Do we believe that when the president wakes up in the morning and starts to tweet that he has his emotions under control? I don't think so. I think his emotions are running rampant, uh, and and the tweets tend to reflect this. And sometimes uh, when he's giving a speech, and and we always know the reporters, look, I think the reporting is unfair uh, about about Trump often, but when report, reporters are correct, when they recognize he's ad-libbing now, and he does. Remember in the uh, speech he gave in Alabama, and all of a sudden he's uh, 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 saying, uh, attacking the NFL football players who have been kneeling during the national anthem before a, a football game, and he goes on at great lengths about he, he that. He not only goes off script, he seems to only really be happy when he's off script. Oh, yeah. No, he loves, uh, he loves ad-libbing. Uh, he doesn't read a a speech particularly well. You know, sometimes with him he'll go from, you know, you'll have one uh, teleprompter to your right and one to your left. And sometimes if you're not good at, at using it, it'll look like you're watching a tennis match, you know, going back and forth. And, and he sometimes does. Uh, but he's, look, uh, just on the basis of what he says, and when he ad-libs, when he tweets, things you hear about, uh, reporters find out about that have happened in conversations at the White House, you can tell his emotions are are raging uh, frequently and, and, and not under, under control, though he's done a little bit better with John Kelly, a former four-star general, as his chief of staff. But, you know, there's only so much a, an ex-Marine can do, even with Donald Trump. So clearly, emotional intelligence, uh, he's uh, he's... He's failed in that, and, and other presidents have too. I mean, Bill Clinton, you know, I mean, 3 a.m., he's calling some woman. It comes out in my, on these six things, uh, four to two. And so what does, the, what does the four to two fail uh, mean for his presidency as a whole? Well, it means there's a lot of room for improvement, uh, but there's a problem involved with improvement. That would mean the president would have to change. He'd have to probably uh, not uh, uh, tweet anymore. You know, I've defended him on tweeting, and and uh, but, but you sound but significantly anti-tweet these days, I Fred. Am, I am. I've, I'll have to say I've flipped on that. I've just, you know, I, I think it damaged all some of these tweets. They damage Trump. They damage his party. They damage the country. Uh, you know, so many people who I've talked to, including in my own family, who voted for Trump. Um, and and certainly aren't uh, never Trumpers by any means, uh, have come to the conclusion that it is just not professional and particularly not presidential for Donald Trump to tweet and tweet the way he does. Anything else that the president could improve on that would be something that you could actually imagine him actually improving on? Well, you know, there's a concept that Ronald Reagan followed, and, and he was a a very successful president in ways that uh, Trump is not. And one is that less can be more. Uh, People get tired of you. uh, And and when you're in their face every day, uh, pretty much all day, uh, with tweets, with off-the-cuff remarks, with press conferences, with uh, 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 things going on at the White House, visitors, I I mean, he just won't go away. And, and people do get tired of him. Uh, And if you just, you know, skipped a couple days, 
You know, it would it, it would make your presence more uh, valuable and more appealing, I think, to um, many people who want to like him but haven't found a way to do it. If he would do, to put it crassly, if the president just shut up a little, uh, I think it would do wonders. Well, we may grow tired of the uh, Trump show occasionally, but we never grow tired of having Fred Barnes on the confab. Thank you, Fred. Indeed. Thank you. Now we welcome to the confab Mr. Ethan Epstein, associate editor of the Weekly Standard. Ethan, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Fine. Thank you. You've been writing about um, the Washington metro system and some some legislative efforts here. Um, let's start by noting that in the 1970s, when the metro system was completed, that it was a rather bold and graceful modernist statement, well executed, well conceived, and it has managed in 40 years to become a decrepit uh, illustration of what happens with government entities, which is a, a an entity captured by the unions working at the subway system, the metro system, um, and became a, a vehicle for enriching the unions as opposed to getting people where they need to go. Uh, I'm nodding vigorously. I don't know if our podcast audience can see it. No, it's, an, it's a complete object lesson in that. And it's also, at a more fundamental level, an object lesson in what happens when you do no maintenance for 40 years. Well, how can you afford to do maintenance when you're paying overtime to union workers doing nothing? Precisely. I mean, so this this is why we find ourselves in this problem where it's it, the metro is, in fact, lavishly funded. It's just that the actual system is not lavishly funded. It's the humans sitting in the stations that are lavishly funded. And so now we have a broken down system that is uh, so bankrupt that it, it they have to curtail the running of trains even when it's playoff season for baseball. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was actually a perfect example of uh, how the system has sort of fallen into squalor. The only way that we were going to be able to move people in and out of the playoff baseball was if private uh, businesses stepped up and paid for it. I mean, I don't think there's a sadder example of the sort of pathetic state that supposedly public transit had fallen into than that. And, you know, what what is public transit for other than commuter riding, if not to provide a way for people to travel into town and out of town um, and around town late at night after they've been to bars so they aren't driving. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a natural argument for a system, and, that, and yet now the system closes early most nights. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's failing at really what it should be thriving at, which especially now that Washington has become sort of a hip bar and restaurant destination. I mean, when the Metro actually started in the 1970s, it probably, there probably would have been more of a case for it shutting down at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Uh, because people, Washington was asleep by They then. wanted to get, and people rightly wanted to get out before it turned into Dodge City down on K Street. But <laughs> but now that people are able to, you know, spend nights and spend spend time and spend money in Washington, uh, the, the um, deterioration of the system is particularly galling. Now, you're writing in the, uh, in the website, weeklystandard.com, about a peculiar 
um, legislative effort to deal with the problems of the metro in D.C. Yeah, I mean, I would call it a legislative effort to undermine the metro even more. Uh, so the D.C. City Council is considering— An august body. An, uh, famously so. Uh, uh, we're winking, by the way. Uh, has um, has proposed to decriminalize fare evasion, which is to say that it would no longer be considered a crime to to do what I consider is a form of theft, which is to— go on the metro system without paying your fair share. Although I'm sure you're still able to sue the metro for injuries sustained if when you are leaping the turnstile, <laughs> your foot gets caught and you face plant on the platform. Yeah. Tort lawyers rejoice. I mean, this is this is perfect. But no, this this is exactly right. It's it's a pro-turnstile jumper uh, legislative gambit. And I should add, Metro itself opposes it because according to their spokesperson, they already lose $25 million a year uh, based on people not paying their fare. And by the way, the system also just asked for an extra $28 million this year just to keep the system afloat. So it's it's pretty galling at this moment. And chances are the people who are, you know, turnstile jumping – there may be a, a real confluence in this sort of broken windows policing uh, notion yes. that uh, if you're looking to sort of intercept bad actors on the subway, that you might start with the people who are breaking the law in getting onto the subway in the first place. That's exactly right. So I actually do want to clear something up, which is that Washington, D.C. does not arrest people whose only crime is getting on uh, without a ticket. That is not something they do. What they do is they check, and then if you have an additional warrant on you, they will arrest you for that warrant and then for the fair citation as well. So it actually is a perfect example of broken windows policing. It's it's If you find a bad actor, the chances are they already have an outstanding warrant on something else. And if we stop enforcing fair rules altogether, we're going to lose the opportunity to catch those people that might be guiltier of worse crimes. And before one thinks that uh, we're being heartless about the poor, there are extensive programs in the, in the District of yeah. Columbia for providing... Uh, subsidized or free absolutely uh, rides for people who can't afford it and i don't think we're being heartless at all because i think the biggest victims of fair scoff laws are the poor that rely on almost exclusively on public transit i mean if your only way to get from point a to point b is by taking the bus you're disproportionately hurt when the service is reduced and when fares are hiked partially because people aren't paying their fares uh i think the victims here are the poor Ethan Epstein, thanks for joining us on the Confab. Thank you. That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.